down at his right hand. So gentlemen, I'm not going to ask you to bow down to your mothers here, but I'm just wondering if guys, we could just stand up for a moment as, a, as an indication of respect for our ladies. Gentlemen, would you like to stand with me and, and just acknowledge the fact that, well, going through your minds are many things, but it's good to pause and say, yes, we do respect the love that we received. We do value it and uh, we do highly esteem it. So that's what we're saying, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. We mean it. Thank you, gentlemen. It was the wisest person who ever lived, wasn't it? His mum came into the room and even though he was the king, he bowed down to her. What a striking lesson about respect that we get from Solomon here. And yet, there's the other side of it. And it's the grace of God here because our spidey sense sort of immediately rises at the thought of who is this mum that's being honoured here? This is Bathsheba. This is the woman who committed adultery with King David. And despite that adultery, which resulted in a child who sadly tragically passed away, she did go on and she got married to the king and had another son who then became the next king after David, Solomon. Isn't that the wonderful grace of God? Pure grace, undeserved reward, an unearned second chance. And now on this day she's sitting there right next to her son's throne on a throne of her own. She's undoubtedly an imperfect mother. But her example shows us that even in our imperfection, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ can allow us to sit on thrones next to him. And so we're going to look at another mother in a little while another imperfect mother from the scriptures. But first, it's generally agreed that mums have one of the most important jobs in the world. It's not being a high executive, it's growing people. And most mothers feel the pressure of that job, and particularly Christian mums who are striving to be the best mother they can be. And we've had a little bit of Proverbs 31, as we should do on this day, or where we see a perfect super mum, really. And there's many scriptures that just set the bar of being a mum really high. And it's very easy when the mum, as a mum, you're in the midst of the very fluid days that you have the interruptions you have, the things which come and go around about you, it's very easy to feel that you can't meet the high expectations that you have. But the mature understanding of this Proverbs 31 perfect supermum is that that's someone to aim for, someone to inspire you, but not someone to make you feel guilty because you, go, you never got there. And often it's a mum's own internal expectations which can most crush them because they set up what they want to achieve and do they ever achieve it? Well, sometimes, sometimes not. And you can, if you haven't got your thinking right, you can feel guilty because you didn't get to what you wanted to do in the day. 
And some people feel that the way your children turn out is based on how good a parent you were. And some of us feel that your child's eternal destiny rests in your hands. And no human being should, be able to, should have to carry that burden because only God can change a heart. What we do doesn't change a heart. Only God can do that. That's the central theme of the Bible, that people can't do anything to earn their salvation and you can't do anything to earn your children's salvation. Jonah says it this way, salvation comes from the Lord. Only the Lord can bring salvation to you, to your child and to anyone that you're praying to. And sure, God uses parents to bring salvation to the children and God answers prayers for the salvation of your children but by yourself, all your hard work is useless and you can be putting a burden on yourself because scripture says salvation is by faith, it's not by works and that includes parental works, doesn't it? We know many children who've been brought up in Christian homes with all the love and all the teaching and the support they need who don't carry on and walk actively in the faith and yet we know others who've had a terrible upbringing who have now faithful and committed believers in spite of their upbringing. So the ultimate thing, the ultimate power is in God's grace, isn't it? It's not just the upbringing, although there's no doubt that the upbringing is exceedingly powerful. And so if the ultimate factor is God's grace, then it follows that the most powerful thing you can do in your household for your children is to parent by grace. By grace, because grace, the undeserved favour, that's the power that attracts a child to want that grace, to receive that grace, to live in that grace. Because if you're parenting by Christian performance, you can push your kids away from the faith. Trying to show others that we have the right way of parenting, that we've got the moral way, that we've got the perfect way, because we're good Christians, we do it right, that's a recipe very similar to the Pharisees. They wanted to be classified as AAA rating parents. But parents who are motivated by grace try to walk humbly before God because they know they have been rescued by grace. And so the woman we're going to look at is Sarai, who becomes Sarah, the mother of the Jewish nation through which would come revelation of what God was like to the world through the Bible and then in time through the saviour of mankind. And now, when he started off, Abraham wasn't necessarily a good man. He was just a normal pagan man. He lived in a place which uh, had quite a lot of luxuries for those times. But the good God called him and decided to show him grace. He called him, he said, I'm going to make your name great. Through your offspring, all the families of the world are going to be blessed because the saviour of the world will come through your children. And the story of Abraham and Sarah is that the only way that would happen would be because of God's grace, because they had a lot of imperfection in their lives. For a start, she was a perfect, imperfect mother. So <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. 
Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. So there's this couple. They've got the promise that God's given them. But it's tough where they are and they need food. And God's sort of testing them. But it doesn't seem they trust God enough to protect them where they are. And so they go off to Egypt to get food. Just like us sometimes. We take matters into our own hands and we try to fix things instead of taking them to God. An interesting thing in the name of Sarai, that means a princess. That gets changed to Sarah, which is, means a noble princess. And some of the commentators indicate that Sarai, before it's changed, that you can translate that as a sort of a feisty princess. And I know that some of us have feisty princesses at home, don't we? A few feisty princesses we know around the place. Uh, and they had that feistiness from time to time. She stood up to Abraham when Abraham was wrong because she was a strong man. A strong man. <laughs> she was a strong woman. But in the New Testament, this feisty princess, what is, how is she described? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Uh, don't get any ideas here, guys. <laughs> about what you should be like to be called. But that's what the scripture says. And that feisty princess is referred to as a noble princess in the New Testament. So anyway, we'll carry, stay in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. Uh, what did God tell Abraham? That God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Well, that might be a revelation for some of us guys. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And sometimes, guys, we need to hear that. Sometimes God says, do whatever your wife tells you. Even though Sarah is still nevertheless calling Abraham Lord and Master. So truth is not simplistic in relationships, is it? So we've got these normal, imperfect people whom God is going to use. We had an imperfect wife. What else do we have? An imperfect husband. So carrying on our story from Genesis, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they'll kill me. But will I let you live? So say you're my sister. So I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. And indeed, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. It's a very sad indictment of, of the uh, Egyptians, isn't it? Well, I think Abraham might have been a bit surprised here. You, you probably thought, oh, she is beautiful, uh, they'll be nice to me. He didn't think she was going to get kidnapped, but she was. Wow. And the story goes on, he treated Abram well for her sake and Abraham 
Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels, and he got lots of riches, but his wife's gone. Now seriously, when you lose a loved one, you don't really care about that stuff, do you? So I'm sure he was really worried about his wife. But knuckleheads though they be, God still cares for them. We'll carry on in the story. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. And so Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, Hey, what have you done to me, mate? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she's my sister, so I took her to be my wife? Now, here's your wife. Take her, go. And Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Well, Abram got to keep his stuff and graciously God gave him his wife back as well. So do you think on the way home his feisty princess uh, said to him, gee, that worked out good for us, honey? <laughs> I don't think so. Probably went more. Do you realise what nearly happened here, honey? I nearly became Pharaoh's sex slave because of your lies. And you taking us down to Egypt where we weren't supposed to be. And I bet that, that was a pretty hot conversation on the way back to, to the homeland. Yes, she had an imperfect husband. Now think about it, ladies. Really. Sorry, guys. There are no imperfect husbands. There are no perfect husbands, are there? There are no perfect husbands. Oh, darn. So if you're expecting your hubby to be everything you want him to be, then you're making him an idol in your life. And instead of worshipping God and being content with what he's provided you, you can live out of these expectations of whatever you think your husband needs to be. But every husband is imperfect. And all he can do is hang on to the grace of God. And guess what? That's the same as you. All you can do day by day, moment by moment, is hang on to the grace of God. So an imperfect wife, an imperfect husband. What else? There's an imperfect family. A lot of it was their fault. So Genesis 16, 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord's kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. He listened to the voice of Sarah. And we note it was Sarah's idea. Although we don't hear any objections from Abram. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And when Hagar got pregnant, Sarai was fuming. And Abram found he was in a double bind. He was in trouble for doing what he'd been asked to do. That never happens in our life. <laughs> and Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for what I'm suffering. 
I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. You're in trouble, mate. What a masterful man. Somehow Abraham got out of that double bind. He said, your slave's in your, slave's in your hands. Abraham says, it goes back to Buck, pass back. Do with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. Well, the point is, Sarai got desperate. She knew about the promise to have children, but it wasn't happening. And when you get desperate, sometimes you make foolish decisions and you just leave God out. She wanted a child really bad, wanted him really bad. And you can make an idol out of wanting a child. And when you think you need that child in order to be fulfilled or to be satisfied or to be okay as a woman, then you're making that into an idol. Which is, and see, an idol is just anything you trust for happiness which is not the Lord, God. And even if you have a child, you can turn that child into idolatry by finding all your contentment in mothering the child instead of finding your contentment primarily in your relationship with the Lord. And yes, desiring to have a child is normal, but if you start saying, oh, I can't live without it, then it becomes an idol. And indeed, if there's anything in your life you say, I've got to have this in order to be happy, if there's anything apart from God that you're thinking you need to have, then that's an idol. If it's money, if it's a job, anything which you think you can't be happy unless I have it, then you're living vaguely discontented. And if you did get it, it would still bring conflict. It won't be that God's punishing you, but you're sort of punishing yourself. Because when you take on idols instead of trusting in God and in loving God and in doing the will of God, we punish ourselves. And we bring problems into our families, which is what Sarah did when she took matters into her own, own hands and she made a mess which continues on to this day in the conflict between Isaac's descendants and Ishmael's descendants between the Jewish peoples and their Arabian peoples. And so this family, they had dysfunction. They had contention. They had the heartbreak of separation when Hagar left all at the same time as doing the most important job in the world at that time, starting off the Jewish nation, out of which came the Bible, out of which came the Messiah, all through their marriage. An imperfect faith is also what they had. You know, one day Abram was visited by the Lord and some angelic beings and uh, it's one of them says to him, in Genesis 18 we are now, verse 10, and one of them says, I'm surely going to return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which uh, was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. My addition, past menopause. And so Sarah laughed to herself. As she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? So 
can't really judge her really she's got really good grounds for unbelief hasn't she and this statement's also coming pretty much out of the blue as a surprise and it's really inconceivable and when she did have a child how old was she she was 90 and Abraham was 100 and then the Lord said to Abraham verse 13 why did Sarah laugh and say will I really have a child now that I'm old and this classic line is anything too old too hard for the Lord I'll return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son but Sarah was afraid and so she lied said, oh I didn't laugh yes you did they're just normal people aren't they Sarah's laughing to herself God knows but here's the point God's promises are greater than our faith we sometimes think we can only receive God's promises if we have enough faith if we have perfect faith but no when God's if God's promised something to you listen to it because God's promises are a done deal whether our faith fails or not and even though Sarah had an imperfect faith and she failed and she didn't fully trust that God could do this miracle in her life God still blessed her and if you think you have to have a perfect faith and be a perfect Christian you're going to fail every time because trying to be perfect can bring an enormous stress into your life and trying to be perfect can become an idol because even at our Christian best we still fall short even our best we still need to depend upon God's grace God's grace which means even if you mess it up you're still loved we're still loved and knowing that knowing that you're loved as your worst is what gives you energy to keep going because you know that exactly who I am today in this moment however I assess myself I am acceptable to God putting perfection on your life as a Christian that's what that just weighs you down makes you feel guilty makes you feel unworthy and stops you from in turn serving and loving the person who wants us to come freely to him and we've seen this verse so many times for his but notice this for his by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourself it's the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast what's the saying that first bit it doesn't say if you have enough faith God will give you grace no it says God gives you grace first God first loved us God gives you grace so that you're able to have faith and if you can continue to rely on that grace you have faith in the grace of God and your faith is not in yourself and that will just take an enormous burden off you even the most mature Christians can say every day Lord help my unbelief I need your grace help me to get through this day and that's freedom that's what sets us free and the amazing thing is that when Sarah held Isaac in her arms a year later she laughed again and Isaac actually means laughter she laughed again but not in unbelief this time she laughed in joy at what the grace of God could do in her life and this was an imperfect mother an imperfect husband an imperfect family an imperfect faith but what did they have a perfect saviour 
go to the New Testament to Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the non-Jewish people by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely upon faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And that verse is saying that thousands of years before Jesus actually came, Abraham and Sarah heard the gospel. The seeds of what was became clear in Jesus were right there. They understood by faith that God was going to bless all the nations through them and they had inklings of understanding that God would send a saviour through their children. And the story goes on. This child Isaac, he grows up and then God very strangely tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to him. And Abraham's confused because only the pagans around sacrifice their kids. But in that story, Isaac is pointing to what Jesus would do in one day in the future. So Abraham obeyed and he guessed, oh, God's given me this child miraculously. I suppose he's going to rise him from the dead because he's already promised that a nation's going to come through Isaac. And notice the parallels with Jesus. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice and he also was the sacrifice. That's what Jesus was. He carried the wood for his cross. And he was the sacrifice. And he carried the wood right up Mount Moriah, the same mountain on which Jesus would be crucified one day. And as Abraham in his obedience is about to slay his own son, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, God will provide the sacrifice. You can't be the sacrifice. God's going to provide. And God was the sacrifice. Jesus so many years later so Abraham may very well have seen from this life experience that one day a saviour would come through his line and be a sacrifice for all the sins of the world and so here we are today as a church you know all our imperfections imperfect mothers, imperfect fathers imperfect families, imperfect faith but we have a perfect saviour and God is building through us, as we are, the kingdom of God in this place. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So don't put expectations upon yourself that burden you. It doesn't need to be perfect. Live out of grace. God loves you as you are. And if you live out of grace... God will do a great work in your family. He will do a great work in your children. And he will take care of them. And he'll do amazing things. And he'll answer your prayers. Will you pray with me? Lord, we want to lay down any thoughts that it all depends upon us. It all depends upon you. As we look into your eyes, we want to... Or open our eyes to see how much grace you have, how much undeserved favour. It's an ocean. Your love is an ocean. 
Let us immerse ourselves in the favour and thank you for what you've provided and live out of that as we, we grow people, as we grow, around, grow the people around about us. We walk humbly to do justly and to live in your wonderful grace. Amen.